Hi everyone, welcome to the NBA Agents Podcast. Are you curious about NBA student life in the US? Do you worry about how to navigate your NBA life? If so, you're at the right place. NBA Agents is here to empower you to overcome different challenges by sharing tips and recommendations from many other Asian NBA students. We want you to be prepared for the crazy NBA world. Are you ready? Let's get it! Hi guys, welcome back to MB Asians. I'm Jay. I'm Jacob. Let's get MB Asians on the road. Today's American culture we want to share is small talk. It happens in every situation and it's really important when you start a conversation with someone else. With Ashley, our special guest today, let us talk about small talk. Hi, Ashley. Hello, how are you guys? We're doing great. We're doing great. How's your class going? Oh, you know, it's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. It's a bit stressful, but you know, that's normal. I know all of us got a lot of stress from the classes. So Ashley, could you briefly explain what small talk is in the United States? Yeah, sure. So small talk is when you just want to talk to someone else to kind of break the ice to connect with someone, even if you don't know them particularly well. So it's kind of talk about very uh, mutual topics that might interest everyone in the conversation. So like what kind of topic can be said as a small talk? So I'd say topics would be anything that you think you and that other person have in common that's not like overly divisive. So things that could include if you're talking to MBA classmates might be mutual experiences that you guys are having, like orientation, mutual people you know, um, kind of just fun light things about them, you know, uh, maybe like a professor that you both have, classes, etc. anything like that. I mean, I think the classic small talk topic obviously is weather, um, but, you know, people try to avoid that. But if you move to somewhere like Ann Arbor to get your MBA, that you're hanging out with classmates from much nicer locations, I think that's a clear topic of conversation, yeah. So, so is there any taboo topic which we shouldn't talk about? Yeah, I would say taboo topics would include things like politics, religion, uh, if you're just jumping in and asking someone like what their old salary was, maybe <laughs> uh, if you're if you get aggressive about asking someone about their personal relationships, like if you just jump in and start asking people about their love life, that would probably be frowned upon, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's similar with Korea. Like we don't have a term like small talk, but as you may know, like we always make a kind of opener story when we start a conversation with people. And but like talking about religion or talking about salary is not appropriate. It's not proper. So I think that's a similar thing. What about like between close friends? Do you guys also do small talk? I mean, yeah, I think people do small talk, especially if you're if it's a friend that you know super well, you would probably do small talk, just things like, oh, how is your day going? What's new with you, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you would do that too to someone that you already know all of the big questions about. It's very likely that you would talk to them about things of that nature as well. But I say small talk is is most common amongst people that you don't know very well, or yeah, exactly, if you're trying to network with, 400 of your classmates, probably the majority of your conversations would be small talk. <laughs> yeah, I also found that um, not just like among close friends, but also like a complete stranger. That's something that I found really weird or uncomfortable, especially like when I was like on the bus or in the elevator, people tend to make the conversation, which is like really happened in Taiwan because people are just keep silent and quiet. And and we kind of feel that's kind of comfortable for us. But I know like I ask some Americans um, friends and they say, it's really weird for, for you because you, you're just not be able to um, to feel the, like the silence between between people within the like the close um, environment. Yeah, I mean, I think it also, it kind of depends on 
I think what part of the US you're from. Like I would say if you're from like New York City, the likelihood that you're going to make small talk with someone random on an elevator or on the street or on the subway, it's very low, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're going to probably just too many people, so you're not going to talk to them. But if you're like in a small town in Georgia, the likelihood that random people on the street are going to start talking to you, that's very high. So I think it really, uh, it's a little bit, even within the US, there's definitely variations. Mm. And I also have a question. So um, in terms of like the networking, mm -hmm. sometimes you start with a small talk and then you transition from, you know, from a small talk into like the, the, the purpose that, uh, for example, like you're asking information for the company or, you know, for the role, but how do you make that transition? And then what's the proper land for for the small talk and then you know diving to the the real conversation because I found this really sometimes weird and I'm not sure how mm -hmm. to do it. So any tips that you can share? Yeah, yeah. So usually if I'm getting on, if I'm having a coffee chat or if I'm doing an interview, I usually start off by asking them questions like "How are you?" or if it's virtual, I'll ask them questions like "Where are you physically right now?" Like mm -hmm. make some conversation about wherever they are. Um, and then I usually let that go on for a couple of minutes. And then after that, um, if it's a coffee chat, I'll say something like, so thank you so much for talking with me today, but I wanted to first give you a little more background about me. So there's really not that subtle of a transition, I would say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I think it is probably, it is kind of abrupt to be honest. Um, and I think I do that even when I was working, I would do that a lot where I just like make jokes with my coworkers and stuff and be like, okay, guys, now we're getting down to business, you know? So yeah, really, there's not a good transition, I don't think. <laughs> so Jay and Jacob, is what I've said about small talk in the US, is it pretty similar to what you guys have experienced in Korea and Taiwan? Because honestly, I feel like it's what I've said so far just feels like human nature. So I'm just curious as to seeing your guys' perspectives. So I think in Taiwan, we do have small talk among the closer friends, but not with stranger. So that, that was what I've mentioned about. It's like, we don't really talk to stranger, um, you know, on the road, on the street. And then actually that's how our parents teach us not to talk to the stranger. <laughs> so we basically just, you know, keep a distance with the strangers. Um, and that, that's my case. I'm not sure uh, in Korea. Oh. Uh... I think based on my experience, I have similar experience with Jacob. So what I mean is with stranger, like we normally don't have any conversation on the street or elevator, like we just keep silence. But between close friends, I think we do some kind of small talk, but our question list is very limited. Like usually I think Korean people said like their common question is, did you have lunch? Did you have dinner? Or what did you have for your lunch? Hmm. So we have a lot of expression related to meals, but not asking about, so how's your day going? Or what's your experience, et cetera, et cetera. So like there is a, that's why I think there's a no term for small talk, hmm. at least in Korea. So I think United States small talk is more diverse in terms of topic. Hmm. And it, it can be anything, like it could be really, really anything. Like we can talk about Ross, we can talk about the culture of Ross. And hmm. so, but still, I think we're doing some small talk. That's interesting. Also, now that you've said that, I've realized that I have other Korean friends at Ross that I know who frequently mm -hmm. ask me if I've eaten lunch or dinner and like what I <laughs> ate for lunch or dinner. And I had no idea that that was actually a cultural thing. <laughs> I think so. I don't know why, but <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, she just really likes to know what I ate for lunch or dinner. So like, it's just like, whatever. <laughs> oh, it's actually, I mean, in, in our culture, like, have you have you had a lunch? Is actually a way of greeting. It's like hello huh. Huh. In, in our language. So it's not necessarily to really ask like, did you have a dinner or did you have lunch? But it's just like, hey, how are you doing? Um, but we're saying like, yeah. Hey. 
So, it's, it's, it's yeah. kind of like how yeah, in the U.S., like when people say, how are you doing? They don't really want to know how you're doing. It's actually right. just saying hello. So I guess yeah. that that makes sense from like that perspective. That's right. really interesting. OK, so my other question is if you guys. So you're saying that it's more common amongst close friends. But if you're in like a job interview, would you make small talk at the beginning of the small at the beginning of the interview or would it just be like down to business immediately it would be just go straight forward to the question or to the interview mm -hmm. itself even even in a business setting it's very it's really i think we've it's really to just you know going directly into the conversation um the topic for the day for for that meeting so we don't necessarily have to have this kind of small talk. But I found like hmm. in US it's kind of it's like norm. Like people okay. have to have some small talk before you know the actual meeting start. So hmm. yeah, I think that's the difference. What about same you? in Korea? Like like when we have a job job interview, like we just directly go about some questions like what did you do before come here? Or <laughs> what kind of ability do you have? And we never do small talk with the uh, between interviewee and interviewer. So there's a frankly like networking is not I'm not sure because I only did my first job in Korea, which doesn't which normally doesn't require any networking session. Hmm. I'm not okay. sure about when I got a second or a third job. That means when I move when I move my job from first my previous company to another company, I think, I guess I need some networking session in that case. But when I got my first job, there was a no networking session, just directly drop my resume and they call me, hey, Jay, you, you got an interview, you have to come here. And then we start some conversation about the business, not about small talk. Hmm. So that's the process in Korea. That's interesting. I feel like also, in the US, a lot of people judge you in your interviews about whether they like your personality and want to work mm -hmm. with you or not. So do you, and I think that's kind of the purpose of doing the small talk at the beginning of interviews is to kind of to judge what your personality is like and see if you're like a nice person that they would actually want to work with. Um, so do you think, are people as likely to want to kind of be friends with their coworkers? Um, in, in your past experiences in uh, Taiwan and Korea? Well, I guess still um, people are still trying to be friends with each other, but it's just not, it's not like the small talk is not building to our culture. So we kind of getting to know people step by step, step by step. And then, you know, you start, you start with being a coworker and then, mm -hmm. you know, you become friends and then okay. maybe closer. So that's how, I guess that's how, um, the the friendship works in Taiwan. Well said. I think first become a co-worker and then friends is next. That's the process. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. So, that so makes you sense. think you think small talk is really important to give a good impression to recruiter or mm -hmm. anyone else when you have when you start your conversation. I, I definitely do. And I definitely agree that small talk is never actually gonna make you friends with someone. But um, I think in terms of interviews and networking as an MBA, I think it's really key to show that you have a friendly, nice, desirable personality. Um, yeah, I think it's just important in American work culture. It's like something that's expected. Right. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, Ashley, today. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Hope this was helpful. <laughs> sure. Okay, let us have a quick break and we'll be back with the interview session. Hey guys, welcome to MB Asians. I'm Jacob Yu. And I'm Jay Park. Today we want to talk about recruiting. And many students come to business school not just to learn accounting, finance, strategy, or marketing. But really, people come to MBA to look for career changes. That's why, starting from the very first day of your MBA life, you will spend most of your time preparing for the summer internship recruiting. So as an international student, how to make yourself stand out from other domestic students and to get your dream jobs? So today, we invite Krisa De Gomez, 
a second-year MBA student from UC Berkeley Haas Business School, to share her experience with us. Hi, Krisa. Hi, Jay. Hi, Jacob. Hey, good, good to meet to you, you today. Yeah. So, could you briefly introduce yourself, like where you're from and what did you do before coming here? Uh, sure, yeah. So, I originally grew up in Indonesia and for the most part of my life, I spent my life in Indonesia. Before Haas, I was an M&A consultant with EY for three years. Uh, I was at, uh, in Jakarta office and then I moved to sort of like strategy role with EY Parthenon in Singapore for another two years. So um, really helping clients entering into Southeast Asia. Great career path. I know this question sounds a little bit interview, but like why you pursue MBA and why especially Haas, like UC Berkeley? Yeah, Jay, thanks so much. Uh, good question. Actually, um, before Haas, I'm thinking maybe I want to pursue more consulting career. But then after five years, I feel um, consulting career feels very high level and I want to make even more real impact, something that I can build something, a product or a service. And so uh, I can help more people. And then I, so I come to, to MBA to really look for that. Um, and I want to pivot to some like technology industry because I see that technology industry is really booming and they really create value and add value to society. So that's why I choose also Haas. Uh, I'm very drawn to the culture and also the location. In terms of culture, I can talk a little bit about that more if you want. Uh, but in terms of location, it's very close to the Silicon Valley. I want to listen more about the culture in Haas. What culture it has? Uh, sure. So the things that draw me to the MBA uh, are the people. I think more than just the brand or the building. It's the MBA is really about your classmates. So at Haas, I like that people are very beyond themselves. For example, when I was researching for the Haas. I can just reach out to any Hasis and ask about their experience. And they just spend like 30 minutes, even one hour talking about their application process and all that. Same thing when I was recruiting, people are also very helpful. I feel like people are so uh, open and really go beyond themselves. Oh, good to know. Like Has has similar uh, culture with Ras because Ras is also famous for collaborative culture. And when I applied for Ross, I also got a lot of help from alumni here and current students here, which was really great. So that's one of the reasons why I chose Ross. And by the way, like I know it, this is September right now and you already finished your summer internship, right? Yeah, yep. So could you tell me about like what, which, what company did you work and what that company is for? Sure, yeah. So this summer internship, I work for a company that help e-commerce merchants to do fulfillment. So fulfillment means uh, helping doing, uh, preparing the products and ship the products. Uh, I was intern as a, as a strategist, so like an internal consultant, helping this startup to come up with lots of pricing strategy model and then also analyzing competitor. So... You mentioned earlier, you mentioned about um, you did uh, consulting for about five years and then you mm -hmm. wanted to kind of pivot to a more, to, to actually build something to deliver the result or implement. So that's mm -hmm. why you come into the MBA and yeah. kind of looking for the like different career path. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering, like, I know, like you said, you have sort of like a goal, but at the time before the MBA, do you already have like very specific um, career goal, like in terms of location or function or even industry? Mm, yeah, good question. Uh, so yeah, in terms of industry, <laughs> it's actually a tech, tech industry. Uh -huh. um, I'm drawn to tech because I help a lot of e-commerce before and also I help a lot of fintech uh, companies. So I think tech is the way forward. 
So in terms of industry, it's that. But in terms of location, I'm still open either in Indonesia or US. Mm. What about function? Do you, because you interned as a uh, strategy function, but is that something you always, you know, looking for? Yeah, actually, um, so in tech, the most popular functions are like product manager, product marketing manager, and right. strategist. Uh, like all my classmates, I was also influenced by all the hype of product management, like PM. Everyone wants to become PM. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. PM is truly, so I... truly like popular. Yeah, yeah. And initially, I didn't even know this kind of role exists. But then, uh, so I started to recruit for PM and talk to people. I went for interview. Then I realized I'm not really into this kind of role. This role is more about managing people, helping coordinate uh, people, whereas like strategy role is more about problem solving and things that I'm more familiar with. So after, throughout the re recruiting process, I realized that I want to be in a strategy role. So, so to sum up, like you wanna recruiting for the tech industry, and you don't care about the location and strategy role, right? Yeah. Then, could you briefly describe the timeline of tech industry recruiting? What I mean, timeline is like, I know like there are so many industries or consulting companies that MBA students wanna go. But each specific industry or consulting firm has a specific timeline when we think about the uh, recruiting, like when you have to start to write down your resume and when you have to apply for the company and what about the interviews and when the re result comes out. Like, Could you briefly explain tech industry's timeline? Uh, sure. Yeah. I guess uh, I know you also might have similar experience. So at least in my school, um, the timeline is that you have to start your application in November. So tech recruiting starts a little bit later than consulting. Consulting starts around September and October, but tech will start in November and December. That's when you submitted your resume. And then after that interview will start from January. And the way it goes is big tech will interview first. So big tech will invite for interview during January and February, and by February you'll come, you'll get the result whether uh, you like manage to get into big tech. Some big tech still go into a recruit more on in March, but more small startup will come up in March. They'll open more application in March until May. Yeah, I think that sounds about similar to to my understanding. So I'm also recruit for tech. Um, starting from uh, November, dropping a resume, and then interview uh, maybe by end of the year or even um, early early February, I guess, uh -huh. um, all the way until like May. So it could be like a really long game if you... It's a really long game. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> it's very exhausted. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so... So, so you're talking about like there's the timeline can be really long, and then there's actually a two kind of a main, um, main ways for you to do recruiting. One is on campus, the other is off campus. So did you do both or, um, in in your recruiting? Um, yeah, I do both. I guess so, um, you want to explain a little bit more about on campus and off campus. Yeah. So um, I guess. On campus is like the, the company has sort of relationship with the school already. And then they were targeted for the specific school for their internship role. And you can get sort of like close list, which means you only compete with your your classmates. And then off campus literally means you basically are recruiting on job board or LinkedIn or even on the um, company's website. And then you're competing with all the MBA students around the world, basically. So in your, in your experience, what's your strategy in terms of which one to focus more? Is on-campus or off-campus? Yeah, uh, so actually I do both. So I did 
on campus. On campus will come earlier, around February, January. And then after that, then come off campus. So yeah, I did both. In the, yeah. So is there any specific strategy? For example, like, I don't know, maybe for me, I can, my, my I guess my strategy is focus on the on-campus first because actually I was hoping to get the job, you know, during the on-campus recording period. And then, you know, I can take a rest for the rest of the <laughs> semester. Yeah. yeah um, for, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Uh, <laughs> so, so like I mentioned, it's, it, it, it really was a long game for me. Um, I recruit all the way to um, almost end of the April. So it, it was very exhausted. Um, and I guess, I guess you have to be prepared for any situation, um, like mentally or physically, because, because I think by the time, um, for those chosen time opportunities, it's very competitive. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I also also have the same experience as you, Jacob. So I started with OCI, on-campus recruiting, on-campus mm-hmm. interview. And mm-hmm. then after that, yeah, I was hoping to end the, in- the application process soon, like by February. But then I still have to recruit again until April. So mm-hmm. similar with you. And then all COVID happened between February. It was in February, right? When everything started to spiral down and then... Suddenly, lots of uh, interview offer get rescinded, and so I had to recruit again. Yeah, I like how that. many? How many companies you dropped your resume? Can I ask this? Oh, I cannot count. <laughs> I guess there are like <laughs> the central base resume, <laughs> and then so and then, yeah, I think a lot. I dropped a lot. Oh, oh my god, I dropped more it. than fifty. Yeah, I drop a lot. I know, like after COVID nineteen in like March, like there's a there are a lot of time we stay in home, and I also do the same thing, like put, just drop my resume, many company until I I got a job. <laughs> so yeah, let us go back to the, our main topic. So we think Jacob and I think. There are three major components when we think about the recruiting. The first one is mm-hmm. resume or cover letter. The second one is networking. And third one is interview. So I'm curious about like when you are recruiting for tech industry, like did you do a lot of networking? How much networking that industry or a specific company needs? I know some, some specific industry, for example, investment banking, I heard that they need a lot of networking session with the recruiters. Uh, how was about your experience? Um, yeah, thanks for asking. Um, yeah, so my experience, actually, uh, for big tech, I didn't do a lot of networking. I, I network mostly because I already got the interview invites and I network to understand more about the company and so on. So then I can talk more in in the interview but for the startup especially the one that I got um, the one that I really like my summer startup I network a lot happen to know a person he's Indonesian and he is my mutual friend so yeah actually for a startup you need to network more oh then what kind of difficulties did you face when you do networking is there any specific yeah. difficulties when you do networking? <laughs> mm, yeah, interesting. I guess I can share. Okay, so one thing that I uh, experienced difficulty is my mindset. At the time, I was still thinking about networking is like social. It's like conversi- conversing with your friends. But then in the end, you're kind of hoping for something because you want to get referred for a position or you want to get um, information. So this networking feels a little bit more transactional. And for me, it's not natural for me to do that kind of thing, to like <laughs> talk to people, but then in the end, you kind of want to ask something. So 
Yeah, actually, yeah, it doesn't come naturally. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, <laughs> I think in our culture, there's no such thing called networking. Um, yeah. Basically, yeah. When you when you want to find a job, you go to you know like the job posting site and you drop your resume and you just wait um, for people to call you and then you interview. So I guess it's less um, less like the networking portion um, in our our recruiting process in at least in Taiwan. I'm not sure in in Indonesia. Same. We just have to drop our resume and then they'll call you. And yeah, yeah less our networking portion. I agree. Yeah, and then it, it it's really kind of stressful um, when you calling when you knowing like you're calling someone and then for some purpose behind it like you're like yeah. you said like in the end you wanted to ask for the referral. So that, yeah, that's, it's yeah weird. Yeah, and then it, and then you were so afraid of making a mistake. And that makes the conversation <laughs> even harder because you feel like I can't I can't mess up. I, I need something from this person, so I need to be really careful. Um, but somehow it just end up with the with the, a real awkward conversation sometimes for me. Yeah, yeah, I I feel the same though. Like it's easier to connect when you talk about non-working stuff, but you kind of yeah. have to talk about your experience. It's yeah. just weird. Yeah, I know. So one one tip I got is um, starting mm -hmm. the starting your network as as early as possible, so that you know for the first conversation you can genuinely asking the questions about about the job, um, about what what the person did and what he learned from the job as well. So that during the first conversation you don't you're, you're not necessarily asking mm. for a referral, and that is less kind of less stressful. <laughs> so to make the conversation more pleasant. Um, so, so by the time like you're actually going to apply, then that's some that's that's the time when you reconnect, and then you can build um, upon the previous conversation and ask for that referral, which is which is less awkward to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, sort of really coming from um, perspective of exploring the job, so it's in the exploration stage, and then maybe later. If we want to apply, then we ask for referrals. Yeah, totally. Mm. So, is is it mm -hmm. also applied for full time recruiting, Jacob? I think so. I think a lot of people. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, when you did when you did the summer internship recruiting process, you already kind of build up those relationships. So now is the time for you to reconnect to the to the previous contact. Um, I agree. Yeah, and I think it's a similar. So um, mm. I think, so not just networking. So um, resume and cover letter, I think it's also a kind of important factors um, for you, for I guess for for the employer to to decide whether they're going to invite you for interview. So I want to ask you, Prisa, is there any tips? Um, you would recommend to to the incoming students that how should they do in terms of like maybe the timeline should they you know how soon should they be those documents should be ready or maybe in terms of the content content um, how should they make sure that their 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 content is good enough for for the company they want to recruit for. Mm, okay. Yeah, in terms of timeline, going back to the timeline that I mentioned earlier, so consulting if it, they recruit in September and October means that the cover letter and the resume has to be uh, ready by the end of September. But then if you're aiming for other companies like healthcare companies, big tech, energy companies, then it will be much later, which is around November. So in terms of timeline, it's like that. And then in terms of content, uh, I believe every school has a lot of um, career coach, career advisor. They're really good at reviewing your resume. So for example, my resume, um, it's very different for each function and they really make it tailored to certain keywords and really make each bullet point meaningful. They try to show each bullet point, like make me show more impact 
and then put some context in the bullet point. I really learned a lot during my career advising uh, sessions. Do, do you remember how many times you get the career coach session? Oh my God, like a lot, like dozens probably like, okay, for CV, maybe like two, three times, but then for mm-hmm. behavioral interview, which comes later, I went to a couple times, maybe mm. eight times or more. Because like when I do my resume, I also use a lot of the school program. So Ross has a career coach. Mm-hmm. We can use that one. And there is another program called fact group so this is like mm-hmm. a kind of group that are recruiting for the same group and each group has a mba2 reader mm-hmm. so i i have a kind of session with my fact group leader a lot of time and i also mm-hmm. ask i also use the career coach a lot and sometimes i just ask for some of my friends mba1 mm-hmm. friends to review my resume i think i do i did more than 50 times only for resume. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Is it for different function, different company? No, or? it's is so I also recruited for tech company, but like mm-hmm. whenever I got that session, like someone else gets some opinions or mm. like someone else has better idea, you can you can choose this word, you can you can change this word into another word. So mm. I think I know it's it's impossible to make a perfect resume for everyone because everyone has Mm -hmm. a little bit different opinions about the resume. But still, getting a lot of session about fixing the resume is really, really good for all the students to get a better resume. Yeah, I agree. Also, you can uh, sort of categorize the input. Maybe if a lot of people say this thing, then maybe Mm -hmm. you have to improve on this thing. So, yeah. I agree. Those are like a lot of times, a lot of time consuming. I know. I know you mentioned about the interview. Like there, are, there is no end. This is really endless a process of recruiting, like cover letter, resume, and interview. Mm-hmm. How did you prepare for the interviews? Yeah. Uh, actually, so interview consists of at least two types of structure, two types of content so behavioral and case and in internship uh, mostly they focus on behavioral i can say like 80 percent of the times they ask questions about your past experience they ask you to tell stories about how you uh, manage certain situation like conflicts or uh, some some sort of situation so 80 percent will be those kind of interview those kind of question and then the, the rest will be case interview so in terms of preparation um, in terms of casing, I did prepare from some case book. I practiced casing with my friend. So casing will be sort of like business case question. How do you improve sales? How do you detect decrease in profitability? Those kind of questions. And then for interview, uh, behavioral interview, I also practiced with friends and uh, also got a lot of help from the advisor, the career coach. Yeah, I think in terms of interview, I think for most um, school, the career center, they have this, um, all the question list that from the previous year, then you can, based on that, and practice. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. And then they also have, uh, for example, for behavioral, they have structure to approach behavioral questions. Apparently, right. there is only like four to f- five to six types of behavioral question. And you can sort of take that framework and apply it to any question. And then, yeah, you can learn the structure. Yeah, I think, I think those resources is really useful. And if you can prepare early and then to really familiar, familiar with those, like you said, the framework, and then the the struct like the structure how you struct structure your your answers, and then I think you're gonna be fine during the interview. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, those kind of structure I just heard it. For example, star method. 
yeah, it's like yeah. you have to describe the situation first and the task, mm-hmm. the action and the result. I was like, yeah. oh, wow, I need to tell story in this kind of structure. It's it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of times, those experience was like, I don't know, five, three, five years ago. Mm. And then you, you kind of have to, Yeah, it's like a memory test. <laughs> you have to memorize yeah. like, what did like, I do? What did I do? <laughs> yeah, totally. So, so yeah, so start as soon as possible to, you know, they take times for sure. Yeah, it takes times. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think it takes a lot of reflection from my side. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's a good process. Even for, for me, um, like you said, the reflections actually... Sometimes, you know, when you were in, in the zone, when you were working, you don't really think that much. Everything is mm. coming one by one. And then you, you finish one project, you move on. But I think this is a really great time for, for, for us to kind of reflecting on what we did and how should we improve in, um, in the future. Mm. So I, I really like this process, even though it's yeah. very stressful. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So um, is, is there any, like in general, recommendations that you can share with um, international students, you know, in terms of like preparing for recruiting? Um, sure. So initially, uh, I don't know that behavioral question takes up a lot of the big part of interview. And so I, I would start earlier preparing for behavioral questions. But then also on top of that, I will approach an interview not with the mind that it's an exam, like you have the right or wrong answer. So because from my experience, interview is more about connecting to this interviewer, really seeing this person as your colleague and understand whether you want to work with him or not or her. And also for them to see us, whether they want to work with us. So beyond just answering question perfectly, I would also connect more uh, to this person so I think that's another thing that um, I would like to mention and then in general I just I feel it's interesting that interview in the US is more conversational it's more like not very freely not very structured so I think yeah just enjoy the process yeah and get to know the company more Yeah, I agree. And and my kind of my tech takeaway, um, I learned it hard hard way is that if you don't understand the question, just ask. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember vividly, like there's one interview I did terribly because I did not quite get the um, the question, but I was still trying to just ask um, ask. Whenever I feel it's it's it's, it's it, what he asked, and then turns out it, it wasn't at all. So obviously you can see I, I did not get the um, I did not get into the second round. Oh yeah, I had that moment too. I feel like oh, it, will it be wrong if I do this? What do they yeah. expect? But then actually for my internship, mm-hmm. I really didn't prepare much because a lot of. Uh, the things that I spoke about is based on my experience. Also, I really enjoy the company. I genuinely love the job and the role that I'm applying for. And it's like easy. Like it's just like conversation and we really connect. And it wasn't like it wasn't like an exam at all. But at the same time, I think asking again and again about the question is not a good way. Because I had a, once I when I had an interview with a company that I really want to go, maybe mm-hmm. I am a little bit nervous. So that was like, that was a virtual interview. It's not in-person interview. And I tried to understand what the interview interviewer said to me, but I didn't understand at once. So I asked, like, could you say it one more time? But uh-huh. I did it like three or four times per for the one hour interview. And when I when I ask, could you say it one more time, or is it right when I ask again? Like his facial expression became a little bit weird. So I think try to understand at once what he said is the best way oh. to 
to the best interview. <laughs> That's my thought. Yeah. So, so I think uh, this is related to the Jacob's question. But if you can go back to the past, and now you be you again, you're the first year MBA student. Like, is there anything you you want to do differently for the recruit in the recruiting process? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So going back to your points on there are three types of component, three components in recruiting, mm -hmm. the interview, the resume and the networking. I think I prepare my resume early, but I started networking late. And so I actually, if I get the interview invites, then I'll network. It's to understand the company better, which I think it's not the right way. I think we should start network before we apply. So if I can go back, I will do that. I will even maybe like try to understand the company I'm going to and then also some other companies. I'll be more diligent when doing networking and really explore the opportunities. And then after that, then apply. So yeah, I will reverse the process. Yeah, similar. I will start early. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, nobody, nobody expect expecting for the COVID. So, like, yeah. So, 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 I think the point is, you never know what's gonna be, um, what the world's gonna be. So, it's best for you just be prepared as early as possible. Um, so you don't have to worry about all these other, other things that is out of your control. Mm. Uh, but by but you never know because some people get their um, inter internship recent, which is yeah. your, your case, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I also realized that my classmate is a wonderful source of network. Even mm. when COVID happened, some of my friends already got offer and mm -hmm. they uh, tried to recruit other people, like, uh, like asking their manager if they can still refer people. And also I got referred to some companies it's all through my classmates. So yeah, really uh, having close connection with classmates really helpful too. Yeah, yeah, definitely just reach out. Um, you, never, you never know, but you'd be surprised how helpful um, yeah. your, your friends, your classmates can be. So um, I think next question is about COVID. So... I mentioned earlier, like COVID is kind of messed up with the, all the timelines. And for the incoming students, all the recruiting process, like uh, company infrastructure or like the coffee chat networking or even the interview process, we're going to be go virtual. So I wanted to ask, what do you think about this virtual process? And how how students can be can 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 be dealing with this kind of situation, especially for international students. I think virtual kind of make conversation much harder than in person, and especially for 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 people like us, we are not native speaker. Mm, yeah, I understand. Actually, it's really hard to speak. <laughs> In virtually, sometimes people don't get exactly what we communicate. So yeah, I would suggest having a good internet connection is one, and then the other one will be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the other one will be like maybe speaks more slowly during networking. But then actually there are a lot of interesting stuff and interesting application for network that my school use. For example, Hopin. Uh, it's really facilitate the networking session uh, easier because it only limits 10 people at one time. So it's more closer to each other. So I think if I'm in that kind of situation, I will ask more thoughtful question, probably prepare more before coming to networking. So then I can stand out during the networking and the people I network with also remember me more. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Actually, I before the COVID nineteen, like I also don't like didn't like these virtual things because I have some 
I feel afraid of having a phone call or a virtual thing because it's not easy to understand. It's not easy to read their facial expressions. Or sometimes when the connection is not good, it's not easy to understand what they're saying. But after I get used to these virtual phone calls or having some virtual meetings with my friends, Uh it has some merit. Like when it is easy for me to find some words that I didn't understand during the conversation. And Uh also I found some information on internet, like when someone has say something that I don't know. So I think it could be a really good chance for international students or maybe old, old students like having some virtual interviews or virtual sessions with recruiters. I think it's just pro- it's issue of how we can use this, how we can handle this situation with um, our abilities. Yeah, I agree. I would also say that, okay, for some people maybe who recruit for banking and consulting, like I think dress up is also important because mm-hmm. you can just, you have to go to interview as if you're going to the real uh, in-person networking. So, yeah. Our final question is for everyone, every guest for the MBA agents. So what is one thing you wish you had known before coming to MBA? So it's not only for the M- uh, recurring, but like overall MBA life. Yeah, I guess uh, I wish I know that California has a great sunset, like a lot of great sunset, like you're beautiful. And then like, yeah, totally, I don't regret coming here. And also, I think I wish I know that my classmates, they're awesome. They're like, they, in terms of personality, they're awesome. And then also coming from different backgrounds, like some people really go for military and, and then some people teach in remote area. They do awesome, like um, interesting stuff. I wish I know that this kind of environment and then uh, appreciate my classmates more and connect with them more. Um, what else I think I wish I had uh, known before MBA? Um, maybe that actually interview process is not easy. It's like harder than I think especially in terms of behavioral interview. So yeah, I would have prepared more on that. Okay. It was great to meet you and talk with you, Krisa. Thank you for sharing your precious experience and tips with MBA agents today. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me and having me, Jacob and Jay. Today's show was with Krisa De Gomez from UC Berkeley, Haas and Indonesia. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. You can find us through all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. New episode comes out every Tuesday, US time. Subscribe to our podcast, follow us on MB Asians on Instagram, Facebook, and please share it with your friends. Stay tuned and see you next time.